look, number one, I, I really, really strongly, strongly believe that in most cases, the earliest marketing ROI for a business is the founder talking about the business <laughs> and the founder leading founder-led marketing. James Roycroft Davis, tell me a bit about Baseline. Baseline is helping people on the bipolar spectrum live better. We do that through an app, AI, education, and access to clinicians. It started after I was diagnosed in March this year. So I was in my psychiatrist's office, and um, half an hour early, I'd just been diagnosed with type 2 bipolar affective disorder. And I had no fucking clue what that means. Can I swear on this? Yeah, you can. Go for it. Good. Um, <laughs> um, and I was given medication and a piece of paper. And I turned to my wife and I literally went, is that, is that it? Like, this is like, I'm now classified as being mentally ill and there's no care or support. So yeah, I, I just went away and I was thinking about it more and more and more. I, I didn't work on it for like a couple of months. And then, um, and then I spoke to a friend who's got type one uh, uh, bipolar and uh, he's an investor and he was like, what are you doing next? And he said, look, you should, you should look into this. Like it's, I think, you'd, I think this, is, this is what your mm. calling is. So we have, okay. and that is baseline. All right, awesome. So I, since that diagnosis and kind of going out of that doctor's room, yeah. really not knowing what you've kind of just been told in a way, you've started baseline. How, how long has that period of time been and how's that sort of process been going? Well, I was diagnosed in March. I started fleshing out uh, baseline in August and I started the company officially in mid-September. Okay. And it feels weird saying customers of Baseline. Um, users, yeah. Users. How are you acquiring users? How are you getting them to use Baseline moving forward? First and foremost, we've got um, a couple of really critical partnerships. In the long run, we want to build a consumer brand in mental illness, which like, there, there is, as far as we're aware, there is no consumer brand in mental illness. But... We also appreciate that there's a long, long, long way to go before we can introduce that kind of brand to the world. Um, we're going to start to do it now, but um, not in a full-on fashion. So we've got some key partnerships with um, some universities and academic institutions and also a charity, I won't name just yet, um, who are going to provide us that early distribution to get, us out in, get, get the product out into beta. Um, and really get us the first 500 to 1,000 users. Amazing, amazing. You mentioned your wife earlier. Yeah. How would she describe you? As a fucking weirdo. <laughs> uh, how would she describe me? God. Different. Like, I'm not sure you can fit me in a box. Um, and I think she probably... Yeah, I, do you know what? You'd have to ask her. <laughs> we'll get her on the podcast next time. Yeah, I could call her up if you want. <laughs>
That would be a great segment of the She's episode. actually in the car. She would... Uh, <laughs> should we do it now? I'll yeah, let's do it. Get, get your phone. Let's, let's get her on the phone. Well, first test is, will she answer the phone? Hi, I'm on a podcast. I'm live. The presenter has just asked me, um, how would you describe me? I'd say that you're fun. You're funny. You make me laugh all the time. Um, you... Um, are very family and friend oriented. Um, You are very people focused um, and you love like being around people that have things like in common with you and that you can like bounce off and share ideas with and chat to and like share hobbies with and stuff like that. Um, I would say that you are a bit of a roller coaster. You like to, um, sometimes you like to sprint and then sometimes you like to just relax and there's not a lot in the middle. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Nice. Okay. Amazing. I will uh, speak to you later. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Love your answer. Love it. I mean, it's, it's a lot easier when you uh, get the person uh, to answer it live uh, rather than going through you. So There you go. <laughs> awesome. Uh, podcasts. Want a podcast? What's your, obviously outside of this one, what's your favourite podcast to listen to? I am a real rugby like Norse, so I listen to a lot of rugby podcasts. Nice. Yeah, like grassroots rugby and then the more like mainstream rugby podcast, rugby podcast, the rugby pod. Um, I listen to a bit of Lex Fridman when he's got uh, some interesting guests on. I listen to Joe Rogan very, very, very occasionally when he's got Elon Musk on. <laughs> um, and um, I listen to that Peter Crouch podcast quite a lot. Oh, uh, yeah. Very good. Yeah. yeah. Although I think it's gone downhill recently, but, um, but yeah. Yeah, it's very funny. Very light-hearted. Yeah. Uh, I, tr- I try to listen to things which aren't that startup-y because I would find myself just being engrossed in the world of company building all day, every day, and I just don't, ugh, it's not worth it. Hmm. Well, talking about inspiration from potentially strange places, you rescued a dog. I did. And closely followed by starting a company. Yeah. Tell me about that, Link. Diesel was, we rescued him from a house in Wales or a couple, actually a family in Wales. But he was locked in a conservatory for two years. Um, and he wasn't walked or brushed. He was like 15 kilos overweight. And the rescuer, when they came to pick him up because they'd said that he was, we'd agreed that he was coming to us, was like, they opened the door, he ran out of the house, ran straight into the car <laughs> and was like, get me the fuck out of this place. <laughs> and then he came to us. Um, and so he, he was, adopted you? Yeah, he adopted us and he is incredible. Um, he's a proper, he, 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 is a, he is a dickhead. Like he's, he's, he's 11 and a half. But when I rescued him, he was, he was eight. God, he was eight and a half, yeah. And he had a load of behavioral issues, like resource guarding. Um, he was a bit reactive out on walks. I, and I was like, it was just, we were just in COVID as well still. And I was thinking, well, there must be a way to, for me to find 
the best suited dog trainer to diesel? Mm. Apparently not. Um, <laughs> and so Rover exists, walking, sitting, boarding, etc. But there's nothing for training. And so I decided to start building a company called Get Welp at the time. Get Welp. Get Welp, which was called Get Woof Help, abbreviated. <laughs> and, um, and then move, change the name to Luna because investors were like, you can't keep the name as Welp. Have you seen what Welp means? And it's, it's something like a birthing dog or like a bleeding dog or something like this. Oh, gosh. Yeah, and I had not clocked that. Um, and because uh, the original name was Get With Help On Demand. Right. Which is... Makes uh, sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Get With Help On Demand, yeah. <clears throat> so fast forward a couple of years. Yeah. You exit from Luna. You exited from Luna. Then you started making some investments in a few different companies. You've got around six or seven investments right now. Which is the most exciting one for you right now? Uh, I think right now the, inter- the most exciting is Odin. Okay. I know the founders super well. I know Mary really, really well. And I know what they're building and that why they're building it. And I think that... I, I just... I, f- I firmly, firmly, firmly believe it's going to democratise and change the way founders and startups Founders and investors, sorry, like work together, mm. um, invest together. How I, as an angel, can find great syndicates to be a part of, democratize angel investing, and also help VCs and emerging fund managers to build better portfolios, which ultimately is building better companies. That's the most exciting for me now. Like we've we've done six this year. I'll do three next year, maybe four. Um, I am looking to invest more in syndicates, with syndicates. I think as a strategy, as a as a early angel investor myself, um, it would be crazy for me to just go out into the ether and be like, right, I'm going to invest in X, Y, Z. Mm. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll just drop 10K tickets here. To, like, that's not the right strategy, I don't think. Research suggests and history suggests that upon starting, diversify yourself as quickly and as much as possible. So over a course of three years, how can I get up to 15, a portfolio of 15 companies that are solid, strong? I also somewhat know the founders and know who their investors are. Mm. And we've made good decisions there. Because ultimately, the way me and my wife see this is this is an alternative pension it's a very high risk pension Mm. but this is what we want to do like abby stopped putting money into her pension recently probably about a year ago and she was like i want our money to work better and for me that's like okay cool how can it work better it either sits in a in like a government bond does like two or three percent a year uh it might go in the s&p fine you might get six or seven percent a year or we can invest in startups Mm. and hope to god they do something (laughs) and that's what we're choosing to do so uh, it is high 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 risk so 
someone is looking to invest money into a startup, whether it be 1,000 pounds, 10, 100, yeah. and so on, talk us through your first investment. How quickly did you make that decision on that founder, that startup that you were investing in? My first investment was in Odin. Okay. Yeah. And I knew like 10 of their investors. Um, and so it was an easy decision for me. And also I knew Mary. And so that, when I knew who the investors were, and they are incredible investors, um, and I knew the founder, that was like, take my money, literally. And how long was that process? Was it a week. sort of a week? If not shorter, maybe three days. So you didn't go into endless weeks of due diligence and no. anything else? What, why? I, I'm putting in tiny amounts compared to what others are putting in. Why do I need to do that? So you're backing other investors as much as you're yeah, backing Yeah, my, my, my signals founders. are coming from other investors that I respect, that I know well and I trust. And if they're telling me they're in, there's a good reason why they're in. And they've done, more due, they've done the due diligence for me because if they're putting in 50, 70, 100K and they would have done their due diligence on the cap table, on the deck, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, was ac I got access to that. But, uh, and whilst I looked at it, like me as a, as a, as a small ticket investor, I'm not gonna call up Mary and be like, <laughs> hey, I'm not sure about it. She'd be like, oh, fuck off then. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because that's what I would do. <laughs> I'd just find another 5K. <laughs> 100%. You've started a lot of things so far in your life from a startup perspective yeah, and communities. Yeah. <laughs> the Cold Water Club. You're yeah, a founder of something called the Cold Water Club. We had our last meeting yesterday. Okay. What is the longest that you have ever put yourself in ice water for? My longest is, so I had like 0 0.2 degrees water, uh, three and a half minutes. What, the problem is it, I could go on longer in there. It just gets a bit boring. <laughs> and I could, you could pro I could probably do four, four and a half. Uh, and maybe the answer is to have like headphones in and a podcast on, but um, yeah, that does get to a point, you know you're getting cold when you start to like properly shiver. That's when I'm getting out and I'm warming myself up again. But I've got out at like three minutes 30 and purely because I said, I was like, I'll be, do it for three minutes 30. Uh, and that's not like a humble brag, but that's just what I felt. But yesterday, we went to Parliament Hill Lido in Hampstead. There was 13 of us, which was pretty cool, uh, having started this little community on WhatsApp in, in a sauna of, ironically, um, <laughs> in, in February, um, being like, I know nobody else who's doing any of this sort of stuff. Like, come on, let's like get together and meet. And I had no idea when I started that WhatsApp group that it would grow so quickly. We had like, I think we had like 80 people join over a week and in, uh, in 14 countries. The problem with that, which I've learned, and that was my first proper time starting a community like of that. It was, the geography was too dispersed to do anything with. There were few people in London. There are few people outside of London. There was like a lot of people dispersed around this country, but then Finland, Denmark, Iceland, Brazil, like 
what the fuck am I meant to do with that? Apart from, and what, what we've learned is that they just want to be part of a WhatsApp group and share content. Whereas others want to meet up. So mm. we've had a lot more, the, the community is up to about 140 people now. And we are, you're in, you're in it. I am in it. I was one of the 80 members that joined yeah. in the first week, I think. Um, just, I just clocked. I was like, <laughs> you're fucking in it. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. What do you think about the community? It's great. It's a lot of people sharing ice bath videos, um, which is pretty cool. But I think the diversity of the locations is what makes the WhatsApp really cool. Um, but as you say, I completely Interesting. understand from a in-person community, if that's where it's sort of transformed into, is very challenging because actually of the 140, how many of those are yeah. in a centralized location without having different core members leading the charge yeah. in those areas. So maybe that's where it could go, but it's, it's pretty cool to have the shared experience with other people on WhatsApp because there was a phase which I felt was led by you, but I'm sure it was led by many other people, um, which got really into sort of putting themselves through sort of the self-discipline of cold water challenges and things like that. Um, but yeah, it's been quite interesting to follow other people getting into it. Like for me, it just started in the shower, yeah. where it was like turning it onto cold at the end of a shower. Um, but obviously other people have more space. They, they have ice baths in the back of their gardens and some of the Scandinavian uh, countries, they literally have like these huge tubs which oh, is and do you see awesome. the guy who's in finland yeah who's literally in like he's in a lake and he's yeah. like made this hole in a lake and this vast expanse on this picture hole in the lake yeah like and him just in there and i was like that was shared yesterday i was like this is nuts that yeah it is crazy it is crazy it's so cool to see yeah i mean also well maybe it's just you know, he's used to it. <laughs> he's used to that card. I don't he's know. He's a fucking nut job. That's what he is. Yeah, he's crazy. He's crazy. Um, started a business, started another business, exited from a business, starting another business, bootstrap funded. You've done a lot of it. Biggest lesson that you've learned throughout that journey? The, the biggest lesson is build your founder brand first. Second. Second is just start. Just start. And third this is a very, very, if you're going to do this and you're going to commit to doing this, it is a painful cycle. It's not that fun. A lot of people are like, oh, starting a business is really cool. Yeah. I've made like 1.5 million this year. It's really, really hard. And there's a lot of pain. Uh, most people in a nine to five or even a nine to six, don't go through these cycles of highs and lows. They don't go through these cycles of um, having to accept failure for what that is, which is every single day. Mm. And I guess where I'm going with this is my biggest learning from that is accept the cycles hard and just start. Nice. So build your founder brand just start and accept the fact that it's going to be really tough. Yeah. Let's talk about your founder brand. You have 25,000 plus uh, LinkedIn followers. They follow your journey, sort of past, present, and of course, future. How did you build that? What, how, how was that process? I started building it because I hired a personal brand manager. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I saw two years ago where this 
where this was going. I saw more and more people I like and respect who I know doing this. When I saw, once I saw him take me from six to 12, I was like, okay, fine, I can try and do this myself. And then I, I just kept going with it. And I kept trying to write content and creating content, which um, was in my area of people following my journey and mental health. And I had four or five viral posts and they took me, they added probably like five or 6,000 followers. And then the rest has just been from consistent brand building. It's all consistency. The problem is I'm, I'm like at a stage now with, with it where it's, it's just, it's, I'm a bit sick of it. I'll be honest with <laughs> you. I told you this on our, on our call. I was like, I'm just not, I don't feel like my content's very good anymore. <laughs> so I'm at this, that, at this like impasse with it. But that being said, baseline's growing. Like Cold Water Club growing. Potentially another business we're forming as well. There's lots to be continually sharing. Um, I probably haven't felt like it's, I could say retrospectively about my, my like what's been going on in my career, as it were, um, with recent content. And I ran out of steam with that, and I was like, this is just shit. I'm just posting for, for the sake of posting. Mm. And that is the worst type of content to post, because it does poorly. I had no strategy. I've still got no strategy, by the way. Like, I'm still trying to write it and looking at it going, this is bollocks. And I'm just gonna have to start. <laughs> so yeah, well, that's my content. <laughs> num number two lesson, right? Just yeah. start, get back on the just train. Just start, if it's all um, bollocks, just start. Yeah, yeah 100%. Um, do you believe in luck for founders? Yes. Oh yeah. I, I think a lot of found success about being at the right place at the right time and just nailing, nailing that market positioning. Um, it's why I'm bullish on baseline. I would be, of course, as a founder, but like, as its founder, but I tried to take a zoomed out approach to these things and be like, where, where, what does this look like in five years? And what do I look like in five years? Um, and based on the market, I, I'm, I'm genuinely bullish. I, I think we're gonna get lucky. I think we're already getting lucky. But do you think it's putting yourself in enough positions to get lucky or do you think it's... Yeah. yeah, put yourself out there. This comes back to branding, put yourself out there. Not enough founders put themselves out there consistently. And a lot of people think I'm cringe. I'm okay with that, like, not a problem. But you've got to put yourself out there because putting yourself out, from putting myself out there with Baseline over the last couple of months, we've had discussion, discussions with like King's College about a partnership, a research partnership, like the UK's biggest bipolar charity, uh, NYU, University of British Columbia. Like those don't happen unless you start talking about shit. Mm. And, um, and so, yeah, you've got to put yourself out there. Because an another founder in the same position as you or with the same idea as you may have had that fear of the unknown or scared to put themselves on the line themselves. But I imagine from your experience with investors, your friends, but also in past businesses, the first thing they look to is how invested is that founder in the business? And if they're scared to put themselves out there online, it must be one of the first red flags 
for, for an investor. Not having an online presence isn't a red flag for an investor because all of my investments, and I've only had six, but don't have big profiles. But I think it's confidence. If you're not a confident founder, and there's a difference between being confident and being fake confident, have fake confidence. That's the, you can see it, you can just see it in their eyes. Have they got it or not? Like, do they gen, do they, re, they might believe in this and they might really believe in this, but do they believe they can build it into a 10, 50, 100 million dollar company? That is hard. And so I think putting yourself out there, look, number one, I, I really, really strongly, strongly believe that in most cases, the earliest marketing ROI for a business is the founder talking about the business <laughs> and the founder leading founder-led marketing. Plus, if everything goes tits up, if baseline doesn't, we can't raise, like, yeah, I'll put myself out there, fine, but I'll fall flat on my face, all good, I tried. I have still built more of a brand in what we're doing, why we're doing it, trying to do it, and I have something to fall back on. And it sounds weird because you're like, I should be all in. You should be all in on your company, but also you should try and think about a fallback option because a lot of founders don't. Mm. If you have fallback options and you've built a brand, like you could post on LinkedIn or whatever, if it all goes tits up and go, I need a job. Somebody will take you like that. Absolutely. I mean, it's not just a... Uh Building your brand online, posting online is not just good for baseline. It's also potentially good for you to get down the line and have an ask to your network, your audience that you've built, which may be nothing to do with baseline. And you just need that five or 10 people to see it. And if you've grown your presence online and you've built that authority, it's only going to benefit you down the line. And, you know, hopefully not, but, you know, baseline could have crashed and burned, right? So. Um, and that's the benefits of using that for brand awareness and um, revenue generation potentially. As you said yourself, just from posting online, you've already had discussions with businesses, partnerships that may make you money. Exactly. You have, you have, I think you should think like that. 100%. Let's deep dive into a topic. So oh God. mental health, mental ability versus technical ability and intelligence. So 2.8 million people go to university each year. What do you think? I don't want to sound controversial. And I think there's going to be a lot of people out there who also think like this. But I think there's probably only 800,000 of those 2.8 million who should go to uni. Or who actually leave uni with something tangible. I went to uni, studied a politics degree and wish I never did it because I spent 48 grand on something which no employer ever is going to look at and go, oh, you got a 2-1. Yeah, that's really important. Because everybody's got a 2-1. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pointless. I would have rather have gone into an apprenticeship, learnt skill sets, explored who I was early, earlier. And so, by that, two million people, young people, could be 
doing something different. They they go to uni because it's they feel like they should. Like that that's that's the societal norm now. But they're leaving with forty five grand's worth of debt. Most don't ever pay it off. Most don't. And that's just as as a student growing up, like now into into my thirties, into my forties, if I'm not paying off this whopping great sum, like it's constantly lingering over me for what? It's not actually adding much value. If you're going to a top 10 university, I think it's potentially useful um, because a lot of employers do look at that and go, yeah, okay, we should, we, sh we should hire. We should hire based on that. My wife went to Oxford. It's opened a lot of doors. Um, but I just think that we should be having that conversation. So more young people at the age of 17, 18, when they're deciding what their futures are, can look at can, can look at the other options and feel confident enough to make that decision. Because um, I see a lot of my, some of my family who are going to uni and I advise my cousin not to go. <laughs> my, my, my cousin, well, I advise my cousin-in-law not to go. And she, my cousin was like, what the fuck are you doing that for? I was like, he's a really smart, intelligent 16-year-old. He wants to go and to, to do planning permission, a degree on planning permission, which to me sounds boring, but it doesn't matter. Um, at Oxford Brooks, fine, perfect. But also, he could go and utilise his skill set in industry, and by the end of his degree, he's come out with arguably more experience and more employability because you've got this vast proportion of society are coming out with two ones or firsts or two twos now and um, who go into the same sack which is great you've got a degree yeah I completely get it I think from the amount of people that go to university you have let's exclude people like for example your wife from this conversation you know yep. legal yep. backgrounds yep. STEM, legal careers STEM, STEM. So a lot of those careers yep. need Correct. that education 100%. so removing those I, I did yep. business you did politics so yep. Both very general yeah. uh, degrees. I think for me, when I went to university, uh, it was a great prospect of going to university. It was the societal norm. That was, you know, you step stones, right? So you do your GCSEs, your A-levels, or you go to college, you go to university, you get a job. And for me personally, looking back at it, if I look at the piece of paper that my university degree ended up being, it got me the first job or it got me that first conversation. But after that, it was four years to get one conversation. Could I have just had double the amount of conversations and not gone to university and still got the same sort of job? Probably. But I think what's most interesting for me was the people I met. So now going into entrepreneurship like yourself, those people that I've surrounded myself with, which are very important, right? There's loads of quotes and sayings around the people, the three or four people that you surround yourself with most are the most important to you. A lot of those are my friends from university or, or at least have I suppose university degrees but I think for me those people are who I met at university and have similar ambitions and drives but okay so going into entrepreneurship whatever your background may be intelligence versus let's say emotional intelligence what do you think what's more important what builds success better <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I don't think either of them do. I think attitude. Attitude. Um, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm that intelligent. Um, and do I have lots of emotional intelligence? My wife would say no. Um, <laughs> but do I have the right attitude? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm, I am happy, I'm happy to call myself relentless um, and resilient. But that falls under the banner of attitude, right? So, yeah, I, 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 I think the top thing in entrepreneurship is attitude because attitude falls under so many brackets. Talking about inspirations, who else are you inspired by? My mum. Your mum? Uh, yeah, she's... Entrepreneur herself? Yeah. I ran my first business with her. Um, Managed to only semi-fall out? Yeah, uh, back together now. <laughs> yeah, so I'd take that. Um, she, again, is just relentless. I don't, I, maybe I like relentless people. <laughs> That's, I don't know, but she's, she's, she's relentless, she's fearless, and she has managed to rear three kids whilst also doing this. And my brother's a complete nightmare. <laughs> um, so yeah, my mum is my, my biggest inspiration. Other than, and the, my second biggest inspiration is my granddad who sadly passed away six years ago, but came over from Ireland with literally not a pot to piss in and built up this empire, which still is somewhat standing now. <laughs> and that's just fucking cool. Hmm. Those type of people, when they've gone through, come over in the 50s and go through a lot of shit and but managed to build up a empire which puts their entire, the rest of their family on a solid footing for generations to come. They're the people that are cool. Yeah, amazing. I love that you're one of your biggest inspirations is your mum as well. Yeah. Um, running a business with her. I love my mum too, uh, but- Don't do it. I would never run a business with my mum and she would be the first one to laugh at me saying that. Yeah. Um, you ran a business with her. She, she still runs the business that you She does, you yeah. It's doing three, do three and a half million this year. And, and quick plug, what, what's the business? It's called Thinking Slimmer. Um, it's a weight loss tech company um, where we, I say we. <laughs> you, from, you from a distance. She uh, gets, gets mostly middle-aged women um, to think about why they eat and not what they eat. Weight Watchers, Slimming World, Noom, what you eat. Behavioral change through what you eat. She is behavioral change through why you eat. What, what are the emotional drivers? Is there trauma? They solve that first to release your unconscious mind from the shackles, which is driving it to want to eat food for comfort. And lo and behold, once you do that, people stop eating. <laughs> That's incredible. As much. Incredible. So James, thank you very much. Um, where can people find you? Where can they find Baseline? Um, where can people find me? They can find me on LinkedIn, basically, um, if you search for my name. Um, and Baseline is www.joinbaseline.co. And if you are bipolar and you want to talk, please DM me, reach out, because it's a really, really difficult condition to not fight on your own. Amazing. Thanks, James. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Everyday Founder. If you haven't already, like or subscribe wherever you are watching or listening to this episode. If you know of an incredible founder that story needs to be shared, then let me know who you would like to see next on The Everyday Founder by the comment section or messaging me on LinkedIn. These episodes are brought to you by Shake Content, your LinkedIn content agency. So please show them support on all socials so that we can keep bringing you amazing guests and sharing their stories on 